and welcome to this community episode of the Motherkind podcast. I am your host, Zoe, where every Friday I chat to you, one of our lovely community, our listeners, about your experiences in motherhood. This week, I chat to Deborah about her experiences of being blindsided by motherhood and how she's overcome anxiety and intrusive thoughts to feel quite differently today. We do chat about intrusive thoughts in some detail. If you think that might be more harmful than helpful for you, then please do skip this one. Otherwise, I hope you really enjoy it. Here it is. Oh, Deborah, I'm so excited to chat to you this morning. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. I'm so excited for people to hear your wisdom and your story and I just love it. I love these community episodes. I keep saying it. I just absolutely, I absolutely love it. So thank you for being here. Oh, well, I'm, I'm really honoured. I'm a massive podcast listener and yours is right up there at the top of the list. So I'm just, yeah, really honoured to be here. Whereabouts are you? Tell everyone where you are just so they can get a sense. I live in Bedfordshire, not far, about 40 minutes north of London. How many children have you got and how old are they? I have two girls. They are six years old and three years old. Not that different to me because I'm two girls, three and seven. So we would have had our little three-year-olds just before the pandemic. Yeah, January 2020, my youngest was born, yeah. And then we went into lockdown in March. What was that like? Oh, gosh, it was intense, really intense. It was difficult because I felt like my second pregnancy and birth experience were hugely different from my first and I felt so much more confident in my abilities as a mum and my ability to look after this little person but then being thrown into this situation which nobody was prepared for and having all of that support network just ripped out from underneath you it was yeah it was difficult I still think we're processing it now I'm definitely still processing it and my children certainly are. I don't know if you feel this. Like, I feel like the societal message is just like, oh, just let's just forget that happened. Obviously, we've got the political things going on about what did happen around the party. But in, on an emotional level, I feel like it's just like, oh, well, that's over now. It's such a thing in our world to just push the hard feelings under the carpet and carry on. It's the ultimate keep calm and carry on, isn't it? Yeah. And it really doesn't serve us, does it? It will rear its head at some point and bite us if we don't process it. Yeah. I did this program in the in the pandemic called the Family Reset Plan, which was to help I signed families. Up for it. Did you do it? Oh, I did. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And do you know what? I didn't think of it at the time. I was just desperately trying to help. I was like, I just want to help. But actually writing that course and delivering it, and I did it with Dr. Emma Svanberg and Dr. Nakiogu, both a clinical psychologist. Doing that really helped me to process it. And I didn't realize at the time what a huge benefit that was. Yeah. I've always intended to revisit it, actually, because I still think there is an awful lot that we could take from it. And I will do it at some point. But it's one of those things on the list, isn't it, that you don't, oh, yeah, don't you never, never get around to. So tell me what your transition into motherhood was like, that first matrescence. Oh, gosh. I felt blindsided, to be perfectly honest. Growing up, I'd always been really maternal. I had three siblings. I was the second oldest. And my youngest sibling was 
eight years, eight or nine years younger than me. And so I'd always kind of considered myself like his second mum. And I was always really drawn to children. You know, I had the babysitting jobs, uh, et cetera. And and I just always thought, you know, I'm going to be such a natural mum. And I just always knew that it was something that I was going to do. And then when it came to it, it was so completely different to everything that I had imagined. And I was not prepared for the transition. I found it really, really difficult, really difficult. Yeah. My first daughter, she was born a little bit early. So she was a month early. So I was kind of taken by surprise. I hadn't packed up a hospital bag. I'd done like very, very little preparation and it all happened very quickly. And I think that shock stayed with me for quite a long time. How did that play out, that shock? And you said blindsided. Tell me about that. The responsibility for looking after such a tiny person. And she was a little bit unwell when she was born. We had to stay in hospital for a few days and then she came home. And then a few weeks later, she was hospitalized again. She was quite poorly. And it was the most terrifying experience of my life. I was just completely plagued by overwhelming anxiety for the first few months of her life. And um, it's, it's hard because I look back and I struggle to remember a lot of detail because I was, I think I was in that freeze state for a really long time. And every single day was completely dominated by my anxiety around just the responsibility of keeping her alive and something terrible happening to her. It was really horrible. I had these intrusive thoughts for months and they were so distressing and I had no idea what was going on. I didn't talk to anybody about them. And I genuinely thought I was a psychopath. And if I told anybody what was going on in my head, that they would take my child away because she wasn't safe with me. And so I didn't tell anybody until she was probably six months old. And it was so hard. Yeah, those first six months were so hard. Can I talk a little bit about the intrusive thoughts? You can. I'd never heard of them before. And it was only when I realized actually this was a thing that other people experienced as well and it wasn't because I was crazy and dangerous that I started to think that maybe this is normal and maybe I can ask for help so I remember being absolutely terrified of carrying her down the stairs when she was tiny I would go down on my bum every time I took her downstairs because I was so afraid that I would drop her or that I'd be overcome by a compulsion to throw her, even though that was the absolute last thing I wanted to do. It was almost like I was afraid of the power of my own mind. And if my husband was around, I would ask him to carry her up or down. You know, I'd make up some reason why I couldn't do it. I remember vividly one occasion when she was tiny and I was I had her in a sling in the kitchen, one of those stretchy wrap slings, so she must have been quite small. And I was preparing vegetables for dinner. And all of a sudden, I was just completely overwhelmed by these visions of me harming her with this knife. And I threw the knife across the room. I went into the living room. I took her out of the sling and put her down. And then I came back in the kitchen. And we used to have this magnetic knife block on the back of the splashback. And I took all the knives down from there and I hid them at the back of the drawer and And I vowed never to have her in the kitchen with me again when I was preparing food because I just thought that I couldn't trust myself. And I was absolutely terrified of these thoughts. It was really hard. Thank you for sharing so honestly, because it is hard talking about these things. But I think it's so important that we talk about it because I had the same with a knife. 
I think it's really common that one. I too had the stairs one and I had the tube one. So I lived in London. So to get anywhere, basically, I had to take the buggy on the tube and I would have these visions of letting go of the buggy and it like spinning down. I didn't tell anyone. And even after six months, I just was just like, I'm not telling you, I don't know what's going on. Because no one had ever told me that this might happen. It was only when, via a friend of a friend, this lady got in touch and said, I'm doing a PhD in intrusive thoughts in motherhood. And I was like, what? And he about like, what? And she was like, yeah, it's like normal. Like 99% of mothers have them. I was like, what? <laughs> so we did an episode straight away. I was like, the moment that study is published, you are on the podcast. So when we did, it was the episode with Dr. Caroline Boyd. And it was completely life-changing for me because I now look back on that time, not as someone who was like, you use that word like psychotic or psychopathic or unwell. I wasn't any of those things. I was experiencing a really normal thing, which is these intrusive thoughts. And in that episode, Dr. Boyd talks about why it happens and what happens in our brain. And it's like our brain trips into over-responsibility. It's like to do with the quick added responsibility and the changes that are going on in our brain. And It's mind-blowing, isn't it, that we aren't taught that? It really is. And when I found out that this is a thing and it's perfectly normal, almost instantly the power of those thoughts was removed. It's almost like they went up in a puff of smoke and I still got them and I still get them to this day, but I can see them for what they are now. I still can't have the hairdryer on without hearing someone go, mom, mom. It used to be the baby crying and now it's like, mom, like they're in trouble. And then I turn the hairdryer off and I'm like, no, it's silent. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I have that when I'm watching telly in an, e- of an evening and I press pause. I'm like, I'm sure I heard a child. Nope. <laughs> it makes sense to me when I understood it, that from a biological perspective, we did go on high alert, particularly in those early years, because the dangers were very different back in caveman days and cavewoman days and cave mother days than they are now. So it makes sense that our brains do that. But if no one tells us, it's petrifying. It really is. Yeah. And there are always thoughts of things that you would never, never want to happen in a million years. But I just didn't trust myself. My anxiety was so high at that time. I didn't trust what was going through my mind. I didn't trust that I could not become overwhelmed by these thoughts and compulsions. So yeah, I took lots of measures to sort of mitigate them and and not allow myself to be in a situation where I could potentially cause my daughter harm. And it's really restrictive. I I restricted where I went. I restricted who I allowed her to be with because if I wasn't with her, to make sure she was safe. Oh gosh, the anxiety was insane. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash motherkind. 
And how did you start to come through that? Was it learning that these are normal? Was it as she got older? What was it? Because I think so many people will relate to what you and I are talking about. It was a combination of things. It was realizing that they were normal. I did reach out to my GP and I'd suffered with anxiety for a long time and I was already on medication and I could see that this was an escalation of that. So my medication was adjusted and I was also referred to the perinatal mental health team and I had some therapy and some treatment and they were fantastic. What did you learn in that therapy? I learned techniques to try and cope with the intrusive thoughts, techniques to regulate my nervous system every day. And it just gave me an understanding that I was normal and that I was parenting under really difficult circumstances. And also because of my background, because I worked in healthcare, I'd been exposed to so many situations that, you know, an average person might not see. So I was working for the ambulance service and had done for a long time. And I'd experienced PTSD in the past. And it just helped me see that, of course, you're going to be anxious. Of course, you're going to be struggling because your brain is dealing with all these things and it would be unreasonable for you not to be feeling some level of health anxiety, but here are some tools and we can help you through it. What are some of those tools if you can share for people that haven't been able to access that therapy or support? So in terms of the intrusive thoughts, the one that I still use now, which I think has been the most powerful, is it's a visualization tool. And if I feel an intrusive thought coming in my mind, I'm visualizing it like a, a little piece of ribbon floating on the wind. And it floats into my head from one direction and it hangs around for a little bit. And then I visualize it floating away out of the other side of my head. And I can see it as this transient thing. And it's not me. It's not who I am. It's not part of me. It's just a thought process and I can help it on its way. I use clouds in the sky or some people use ripples in a pond, don't they? That you're, you're not the water and your thoughts are just the ripples. I like the sky one because it's almost like thoughts of clouds because I can look out my window and see often clouds moving and I'm like, this is just a thought. Do you know what? Sometimes I think about what do I wish I'd been taught when I was five? You know, I talk to my girls all the time about it, that you are not your thoughts. It's just so simple, but really it's completely transforming because you can think, oh, I'm shit. I'm not doing this right. And it's like, challenge your thoughts. I used to just believe every thought that I had particularly the negative ones about myself, they seem to really stick. It's profound, isn't it? It really is. And allowing them to experience whatever they're experiencing and not rushing them through it as well and not teaching them to suppress those feelings, I think has been one of the most powerful tools in my parenting toolkit. But it's funny because I'm learning these tools at the same time as my children because this knowledge wasn't around when we were growing up. It's so powerful just learning that you are not your negative feelings, but you are allowed to experience them. It takes the power away, doesn't it? I know you're really passionate about when you learn about matrescence on mother kind. Tell me about hearing that word and how that changed things for you. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, that was big. That really, I think learning the, about the concept of matrescence has been the catalyst for me in just really flipping my whole life on its head and changing my career, changing my approach to parenting, changing core beliefs about myself. And I remember where I was when I heard your episode with Dr. Alexandra Sachs. I was in my daughter's bedroom. I was doing some cleaning, you know, cleaning the books on her high shelf. And I heard it and I, was, I stopped. I was like, whoa, 
this is an actual thing. And when she related it to the concept of adolescence, which we all just accept, don't we? That's just a normal part of life. And when we think about the shifts that happen to a person between childhood and becoming a teenager, they're huge and they're embraced and they're understood. The fact that those same shifts happen to mums, but they're not understood and they're not embraced, it explained why I was feeling so out of place and so stuck because I felt since becoming a mum that I had changed fundamentally and I no longer fitted into all of these areas that I fitted into quite well before growing up. I felt at that point like I was a square peg trying to fit into a round hole and it just wasn't fitting. And I thought the problem was me, but the problem was not me at all. It was the hole and it was the systems. And that was just life-changing for me. And it's been a slow burn, a really slow burn, and it's still burning. But that was really the catalyst for me. I love the way that you say that square peg and round hole because it's so true like I remember I would do things that I'd done before like you know go on a night out or something and I just didn't enjoy it in the same way or I'd be connecting with my friends and maybe they weren't mothers yet and I just felt like we were really different somehow and I completely wasn't expecting that or my relationship with Guy just we'd sort of bumbled along really and then suddenly it was like we were arguing and disagreeing and I was feeling resentful and you know, all of that was completely new. I now know completely normal and part of the process. But at the time I was like, what on earth is happening? And then I tried to get back into my old work and I was like, this just isn't, I know you had that experience too, didn't you? This just doesn't fit anymore. It just didn't fit. And I felt the same, like that shoulder drop moment of when I learned of that word, like, oh, it's meant to be like this. You're meant to question your values. You're meant to upgrade who you are and how you live. And you're meant to learn a load of new, that's sort of part of the becoming of it. You're not meant to just have a baby and then go back to how it was before. That's not how it's meant to be. It's just that that's what we've been told. And the systems that we sort of live in, you know, this, this bounce back culture, this breaking through the glass ceiling and you can have it all. Theoretically, we can have it all, but not if the systems don't support us. And just learning that those systems are in place, not by accident. Yeah, that was big. I found it really difficult going back to work because I was in the NHS. I was doing shift work and I was moving after my first daughter, after my first maternity leave, I was moving from full-time work to part-time work. And there just really was no flexibility in the system. And there was no desire for the powers that be to make those systems more flexible. And it was really hard. And I just struggled for a really long time to balance the two. But to my own detriment, you know, it was me personally paying that price for a really long time. And then you eventually exited, didn't you? Tell me about that. So I had my second child just before the pandemic. I spent my entire maternity leave in the pandemic, most of it in lockdown. So that was not the nice, you know, sociable maternity leave that I was hoping for. My sister had a baby at the same time. They're just a month apart. And we had all these lovely plans, you know, to spend our maternity leaves together and to have the girls spend their first year basically growing up together. And that all went out the window. And there's a lot of grief attached to that, definitely. And then I went back into work to the ambulance service in the November of 2020, right at the height of the pandemic. And it was really frightening. It was a lot to deal with personally in terms of sort of working as part of the system. The fact that we were suddenly faced with our own mortality 
And I was facing that every single day. And the implications for that with being a mother of two small children, really huge. And yeah, I battled through it for a year and then decided I didn't want to do it anymore. And during that time, I think following the birth of my second child, I had learned so much about myself, how I viewed myself in the world, but also through studying and learning more about matrescence, about my core fundamental values and about pregnancy and birth, I found a new fire that had been lit in me to the point that I I changed my career. So I left the ambulance service and I trained to be a hypnobirthing instructor. Amazing. I love hypnobirthing. I absolutely love it. I think it needs to be rebranded. I love, love, love the essence of it. I used it in both of mine and it was completely, completely game-changing. It was incredible. Isn't it just, and the the name doesn't do it justice. It really doesn't because it's not about, you know, just going into a trance state and breathing a baby out. It's so much more than that. It's looking into your mindset. It's learning the psychology of how our, our mind affects our body and vice versa and how we can regulate our nervous systems, learning about how the body gives birth and how we are designed to do it. And it's just such an incredible process. And I think there's so much power in understanding what we're capable of. Yeah, that was my experience. One of my really good friends down here where I've just moved is a hypnobirthing teacher and she had this client the other day and the husband I think was quite a high achiever and had done lots of marathons and he got on the zoom call and he went right so we're here for our labor training because he was in like <laughs> this is like marathon training yeah and my friend was like that's absolutely right when you do a marathon you understand you know how to physically run you think about your mindset you have a plan for it you have a she was like yeah it's like labor training I was like I really like that <laughs> <laughs> Because it's so true. I just, and I, I think that, you know, birth did an amazing episode on it with Ilian Morrison about debriefing your birth, whatever happens, you know, because it is the one thing you are always going to remember. Absolutely. It's the one thing you're always going to remember. And it's so important to hold it in that level of importance, however you prep for it or debrief for it, whatever happened. I think it's so important, isn't it? Absolutely. It's like your portal, isn't it, into the next stage of your life and how you feel during it and how you feel coming out of it has such an impact on your early days as a parent. It really does. In the some of the Eastern traditions around motherhood, they say that how you birth the first 40 days impacts the next 40 years. I mean, that freaks me out a little bit, to be honest. I'm like, oh my God. But that's the sort of thinking that that early matrescence, that early transition into motherhood, how you feel about yourself, how supported you are, how nourished you are, how empowered you feel really does impact whether it's the 40-40 thing. But I think the idea I really like of just how important it is. How beautiful is it that they appreciate that and they have an understanding and they give it importance and are able to support mothers through that? Because we really don't have that in the culture that we live in. No, we don't. We have to do it. It has to be self-study, doesn't it? And there's so much privilege in that. So much privilege in being able to access some of the information that we need. 
I've loved this conversation. I loved how we've started uh, and we've wandered and we've weaved. It's just been beautiful. We've touched on so many different different points. And I wanted to ask you, what's the one gift that you would give to all the mothers in the world? Oh, so I thought about this for a while and I think there are so many gifts that new mothers deserve, but it's easy to answer. The one thing that I would give them is self-trust. I think... The culture we live in, the the narratives that we grow up around, they deny our self-trust from a really early age. When we think about the messages that we grow up with as little girls, you know, be a good girl, don't answer back, don't take up too much space, consider other people's feelings before our own. I think a lot of that means that we're taught to kind of deny the essence of who we are as cyclical beings and as females. And... I think we've now got a generation of of women of childbearing age who don't necessarily understand their own power and they certainly don't trust it. And these women are, you know, growing and birthing and raising children. And we've been taught to outsource knowledge of our own health and to be afraid of our own bodies. And so I think that level of self-trust could be really life-changing for us, for so many mums. I think that maternity care in particular, is very disempowering for women. You know, from the moment we're pregnant, we're sort of encouraged to place responsibility of our pregnancy and our our baby in, in the hands of somebody else. And care is often delivered to us by generic policies that don't have any room for individuality. And our autonomy is really taken away from us at a very, very vulnerable point in our lives. Yeah, so I would give the gift of self-trust to women this is really the reason why I founded my business in the first place, because to me, empowering women to trust themselves, to know their own power and to step into that power and to reclaim agency over their birth experience and their postpartum experience. I think the ripple effect from that is huge. And like you just said, how a mother was treated and supported during her birth and her postpartum, it stays with her. And if she can come out of the experience feeling powerful and feeling like she was in control, then that's going to set her up so well for her early days of parenthood. And and then the ripple effect to her child as well of her feeling in her own power. Yeah, I think it's so powerful. So yes, that's what I would gift to mums. Beautiful. And I think... You know, I'm just nodding along at everything you're saying. Absolutely everything. We need empowered mothers. We really, really, really do. We have to, I think we have to accept that invitation, you know, as best we can with what we've got. And it's very, very important. Oh, well, thank you so much. I've absolutely loved connecting. And thank you for being such a core part of the Motherkind community and for listening as much as I know you do. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for inviting me on. It's, it's been great. So that was the episode with Deborah. I hope you loved it. If you're listening, thinking, I want to share my story with our community, then please email angie at motherkind.co and we will get back to you. 
and I will see you on Monday for our short moment clip where under 10 minutes we will share an idea, a tool or a concept that will help you have a better week. I'll see you on Thursday for our in-depth expert interview and back here on Friday for another community episode. And just a reminder, if you love the podcast, please do share it. That is how we will reach more and more mothers with these amazing words and wisdom of the guests that we have on. And I will see you next time. 